Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 2, if you would. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Are you all excited to be here today? It's just so exciting for me to be here, uh, just for so many reasons. Uh, a few years ago, about two years ago, I sat down at the Paris coffee shop in Fort Worth, Texas with Rick Britton and said, we need a pastor, can you recommend somebody? And I said, well, it's going to sound self-serving, but the only guy I can come up with uh, is Josh Smith. You need to think about him. And uh, so anyway, and so here we are, and having to walk through Josh through this process was a joy and, and a thrill. And now to be here is just so incredibly uh, rewarding. Uh, someone asked me, uh, what's it like being a, uh, Josh's brother? It's hard. It's very, very difficult. Uh, as you can imagine, living in his shadow, uh, all this tremendous pressure. Uh, someone asked me, do you have sibling rivalries? We do. Uh, we were very excited because my parents had no grandchildren, so we found out uh, we were expecting. And, of course, Josh said, if you all have a baby before we do, we're inducing. I'm quoting him. It's exactly what he said. So, sure enough, we had our child, but only 19 days earlier, he had his. You know, just had a little bit just to edge me out, just a little bit. A little bit more. So I went and got a doctorate. A few years later, he went and got a doctorate. As he mentioned, my dissertation is where all dissertations go on a shelf. Nobody's reading it. Uh, his is getting published next year. Uh, did y'all know that, by the way? Because uh, I know he wouldn't tell you. Not somewhere kind of publish, sell it out of your trunk kind of thing. The, one of the larger Christian publishers in the country is publishing it. Uh, it's going to be excellent. Make a contribution. So again, I'm happy for him, but just always just a little bit more, you know. Just got to edge me out a little bit more. I start to lose my hair, and of course he goes and... <laughs> so always just, just a little bit more. Um... But the, but the truth of the matter is, and this is just so great, I was happy to have him say something nice about me helping with his preaching because I don't know if I contribute anything to a relationship. Because Josh is, I know I'm biased, I know that, but Josh is the best at pastoral leadership uh, that I know of anybody who's currently pastoring. And I know a lot of pastors, so I say that with a little bit of uh, experience in this world. He's just extremely gifted at leadership. And uh, so I call him, we talk almost every day, if not every other day, uh, and uh, ask him, constantly peppering with questions, give me advice, uh, which he is not, not shy with, always has great advice, uh, but it's always good advice, and I'm grateful for it, and really honored uh, to be with you. In fact, this is the truth I called him, I was preaching a Christmas sermon in 2015, um, Josh, I need a sermon, he said, you got to preach Hebrews 2, so I thought it'd be appropriate to come back and preach a text that he gave to me, that's appropriate, right? Um, so let's Hebrew, read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I love this week of the year. I used to always hate it as a kid because the time after Christmas was the worst time of year, right? Because it's the longest time until Christmas, right? We're in the longest time till Christmas. But now as an adult, I, uh, I realize this is a sweet week. All kind of the busyness of the year is gone. You have a little bit of time to think about what God wants to do in 2019. So it's an exciting, refreshing time. But there's kind of this ironic time with this time of year. And it's this, that sometimes... The season that we set aside to focus and fixate on Christmas becomes too busy to do that. Can anybody relate to that? I mean, we, we go too much, we eat too much, we spend too much, 
and we're just kind of internally, externally in this big gluttonous pile. I, you're supposed to feel good and spiritual. Frankly, I feel nauseous most of this time of the year, right? And then you just kind of limp into the new year. And what I think would be helpful for me, maybe helpful for you too, is just to have a fully caffeinated look at the person of Jesus Christ. Our love for him is only going to be as big as our view of him. And just to look at Jesus. And so even before we get into the text this morning, I want to say we just simply have one, one application. And that's to exalt Christ. To praise Jesus. So let's think about together what he's done for us. And really one driving thought inside this text. Two results, two causes, or two effects rather this cause. And the one driving thing this text is teaching us is that Christ identifies with us. Look at verse 14 again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. What does that mean, the children share? Well, Scripture describes believers, of course, as the children of God. But that's not what he's speaking of here. The word children here is not a reference for Christians, but for all people. Um, not that we're all children of God in the sense that we're all Christians, of course, in the world. But the reason why racism is so silly is because everyone who exists, no matter their race or nationality or anything, we all share the same human composition. We're all God's children in that broad sense of the word. We're all products of the relationship of Adam and Eve. So he says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. So what he's saying is, Christ came down to this existence in which we live that was not his existence. In other words, he was outside of that. He was in heaven. We here are in this human relationship, and he decided to enter into that. Christ became a child to save these children. But his experience as a human is different in a subtle but a very important way. And the verse hints at it. Look at what it says. Since therefore the children, watch this, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. So the words share and partake are two different words, similar, but they have a, a different meaning that's subtle in the verse but really huge theologically. So all of us share a common human experience. It was inevitable for us. We just entered into it. What we were born, we were born humans. We didn't choose that. We were just born that. But not, not Jesus. The essence of Jesus is not humanity. The essence of Jesus is deity, is God. But what was inevitable for us was optional for him. And he came into this human experience that we couldn't help but share, but he could. He didn't have to do it, but he chose willingly to go inside and partake of that of which we share. Now, why, why did he do this? Well, go back to the verse. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. The reason why Jesus identified with us is so that he could die for us. Now, surely at the Prince Avenue Baptist Church and surely in Georgia, USA, everybody knows that. 
the truth of the matter is maybe you've been schlepped in here by your parents. Maybe you're here by the obligation of the fact that you're here by a holiday. Or maybe you just never pause to realize all that Christ has, has done for us. We teach our children Jesus died on the cross for our sins, as we should. But sometimes if you've had this lying in your lap for 30 or 40 years, and if you've heard that all your life, the familiarity of it uh, comes, causes it to be lost on us. What Jesus did is he saw the fact that God was angry toward you. Not toward sin as an abstract concept. God was angry toward you. God has every intention of unleashing his wrath on you because of your sin and on me because of my sin. And knowing that, Jesus Christ stood in the way between us and between God. And as the hammer of God's wrath was coming down toward us, Jesus absorbed that on our behalf. And because Christ took all the punishment for us, we can have this relationship with Christ where the guilty person is treated as innocent because the innocent person, Jesus, was treated as if he was guilty. That's the gospel message. But now, now we see the logic of Christmas. None of that would be possible if Christ had not first identified with us. Jesus could not be God for us unless he was first God with us. Jesus could not be a God who wanted to suffer for us unless he first came into our human experience and suffered with us. Praise Jesus, before he became our savior, he had to become our brother. Aren't you grateful Jesus identified with us? Praise Jesus. Jesus was born of Mary to die for Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus so that Jesus could give life to Mary. He was born to bleed. He was birthed for his death. He was born like a man so that he could die like a man. Jesus took on a sentence of death to relieve us from our sentence of death. Praise Jesus. He identifies with us. He identifies with us. I saw a movie uh, this last year. And here was the premise of, uh, of the movie. There was someone who was weak and powerless and uh, over them, they were held captive by someone who was mean and vindictive and powerful. So you have the weak, powerless person, and over them was the powerful, mean, evil person. But in this story, there came the hero. And uh, the hero played by his own rules, marched to the beat of his own drummer, if you will. Did things a little bit different. He was a little bit of a loner. He was a little bit isolated, unpredictable. But... Due to his unorthodox ways, he came in and he did something. He did three things. He identified with this person. Hey, I've come in uh, to identify with you. And then he destroyed the evil person and he extracted the person. So he extracts the person who is helpless and he destroys the evil person. In fact, you may have seen this movie. It's called Every Action Movie Ever Made. Right? I mean, it just is. Doesn't matter if it's born or Bond. Doesn't matter if it's a British spy thriller or American spy thriller. Doesn't matter if it's sci-fi. Doesn't matter if it happens in a galaxy far, far away. It just uh, is all the same. Now, you ever wondered why that is? I mean, that's the premise of so many of the movies we, we go to. And I don't think it's just because we like to hear the story of the person who is helpless being rescued. We all like justice. and That's true. That's a part of it. 
But I think there's a bigger reason why we can create these stories. In fact, we create a lot of them in America and we export them all over the world. But why is that a universal story we can all identify with? Maybe, maybe God put that universal desire to hear that story and over and over again inside of our lives to help us, to help us understand Christmas. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He came in and identified with us. And based upon his identification, it caused two things. Here are the effects. First of all, he destroyed the power of the evil one. And he extracted us out of that bondage. And that's what the text tells us. Based on his identification, two results. Here's the first one again. Because Christ identifies with us, he destroys the enemy. Go back to the text. Let's read verse 14 again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Now what does it mean that Jesus has destroyed the devil? Um, well, first of all, let me ask this question. What does it mean that he has the power of death? Well, by the power of death, death first entered into the scene and Genesis chapter 3, at the fall, Adam chose death. And Satan then represents, if you will, the anti-God. In the first creation narrative, all life comes from God. All death has its source in sin and in Satan. And so you see, as you read through the New Testament, Satan has these titles. He's the prince in the power of the air. He is the ruler of darkness. But Satan is never given the title king. He has this limited authority that God has granted to him, this authority of death. And this authority of death is given to him by God. He's not an ultimate sovereign. Jesus holds that authority. For in this moment, he has this power of, of death. He has that authority. And so, all of us are going to die. And another way to say that is, all of us are going to face down the devil. And so what does it mean that he destroyed him. Well, it doesn't mean that he ceases to exist. The devil is very much alive and well. It's tremendous power. But the power that he has is limited. By saying that he destroyed him, Jesus destroyed him, it doesn't mean that he ceases to exist, but rather he means, the New American Standard has it right, he renders him powerless. So Satan still has this amazing power, but the ultimate bite, the ultimate sting has been taken away. There's two passages of scripture that help us understand that. And I want us to look at them. Look at Colossians chapter 2, if you would. Colossians chapter 2. And look at verse 15. Colossians chapter 2. In verse 15. Colossians 2.15, and then we're going to look at one passage in Revelation. We're trying to answer the question, what does it mean that Jesus destroyed in his death and resurrection the devil? Here's Colossians 2.15. He, speaking of Christ, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So it wasn't just... That Jesus defeated Satan, but he openly shamed him. Now, how did he do that? Well, three ways. If Satan's primary weapon is death, when someone, if they're five years old or 50 years old, if they profess Christ, Christ responds to that profession by moving them from darkness to light. 
they're now, the book of Ephesians tells us, in him and can never be extracted from him. And so this person is now in Christ. Death is not the end. It's simply God's means of transporting them from this life to the life beyond. And when somebody becomes a Christian, Satan is put to an open shame. A second way, obvious way, is when Jesus Christ himself <laughs> died and rose again. Satan's greatest weapon is death. He used it on Jesus. And three days later, Jesus proved that really that weapon had nothing on him. Put Satan to an open shame. But the third reason, the third way in which Satan will be put to an open shame is the ultimate way. And that's found in Revelation chapter 20. In fact, let's turn to it and read it. Look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. This is how it all ends. Revelation chapter 20 and verses 7 and following talk about the defeat of Satan. Look at verse 10, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. It says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's very interesting. It's right there in the text. Jesus does not ultimately kill Satan. It's a fate worse than that. Jesus doesn't kill Satan. What he does is there's that moment of death. And for those of us in this life, we, in a sense, are grateful for that death for our, long, long, our loved ones who suffer because it transforms them, transfers them to a place where there is no suffering. But that moment of death in self, the moment of death, of course, is, is painful. It could be insidious. It could be hurtful. And so instead of just destroying Satan, what Jesus does to him is he puts him in that moment of death where he feels like he's about to die, but he can't ever die. Satan wants to live, but he can't live. He wants to die, but he can't die. Perhaps this is why it's described as a bottomless pit, that feeling of falling and falling and just a, the worst part of it, it never goes away. And since, remember, God is the author of all life, what he wants is for you to have eternal life to live forever with him. What Satan wants for you to do is to be in that eternal state forever and ever where you want to live, but you can't live. You want to die, but you can't die. That's what Satan wants for you. Have you ever, um, you ever seen this scene in a movie, by the way, speaking of movies? I don't know why this is a popular end to a movie. It was really popular end to movies uh, in the 80s, the mystery movies on TV. Here's the end of the movie. The in the movie, right the last few minutes, and they're in the office or the lair of a bad guy. I don't know what a lair is, but bad guys have them. That's all I know. And so they're in the lair, and so the good guy's over here, the bad guy's here, and the bad guy says, oh, yeah, well, you forgot this. And he reaches down into a desk drawer, and he pulls out a gun, and he points it to them, and the movie's about to end, and he pulls the trigger, and you hear click. And the good guy over here reaches into his pocket. You know what's happening. And he pulls out the bullets and says, hey, looking for these? And of course you're thinking, you know, if you could find somebody's weapon, if you could remove the one from the chamber and from the magazine and put it back exactly like you found it, you could, you know, just take the gun. That would be so much easier. But the point here, of course, is not just to protect yourself. Uh, the point is, is to put them to an open shame. And this is exactly what Jesus has done to Satan. Jesus has not just defeated Satan. Understand, he's humiliated Satan. And what Jesus ultimately does, watch this, is he does to Satan what Satan wanted to do to you. 
He takes the very weapon that Satan had armed against you and he uses it back on him. And Revelation 20.10 is the blisters report that shows us that Satan was killed with his own weapon. Praise Jesus. He comes in and identifies with us. When he identifies with us, he destroys the enemy. Satan has no power over us. But not only is there destruction, and maybe this is the best news, there's extraction. Remember the two things, identifies with us, destroys the enemy, and delivers us. We've seen destruction. Let's look at extraction. It's back there in Hebrews chapter 2. This is verse 15. Hebrews 2, 15. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What does it mean through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery? Well, the word slavery is a theological word. Romans chapter 6, we're slaves of sin, now we're slaves of God. But that's, that's not the sense in which it's used here. It's talking about a very specific slavery. It's the slavery of the fear of death. So, why do we fear death? It's coming for all of us. Why do we fear death? Well, for lots of reasons, I guess. We, we fear the unknown, right? I mean, we believe what we believe, but even Scripture doesn't give us a lot of details about what it's like that moment after you take your, your last breath. We fear death because maybe there are things that we wanted to accomplish in life that what if we don't get to accomplish them? What if we, as we say, die too soon? We also fear death because we were to miss people who we love. There's, there's lots of reasons we fear death. In fact, we don't only fear death, we fight death, don't we? We fight the signs of aging. And if you see someone and they say, you know what, they, they're, they're really old, but they, they really look good. That's just a nice way of saying that person doesn't look as, as pre-dead as they really are. <laughs> they really don't look as almost dead as we thought they were going to look. So we're all going to die. And so Merry Christmas, that's what I've got for you this this morning, I know that's not a, probably a typical Christmas greeting or there's probably not on a day spring card uh, anywhere. Um, but there's a sense in which it should be. Because even though we're all going to die, hey, Merry Christmas. Because here's what Jesus has done. He has taken away, not death, but he's taken away the results of death. Now think about this. We work hard all of our life. Why do we work hard? Well, we want to do the right thing. We want to provide for our family. And we want to provide security for our family. And when we provide that security, we can hopefully provide at the same time happiness. And all of our life is fixated on providing this life for ourselves and for those we love. And yet, ultimately, we get none of that in this life. None of us goes to bed tonight looking at 2019 and say, oh, absolutely, everything's secure. I can protect my family from everything. No one, no one feels that. We don't get ultimate happiness in this life, do we? I mean, really, there's, there's nothing like the Christmas season when we're at our consumeristic worst to remind us that last Christmas has already worn off. Things have broken. We don't see a security in this life. We don't get ultimate happiness in this life. We don't get ultimate fulfillment in this life. But then we die. <laughs> and watch this. In that death, we get everything we ever worked for in this life. Is that remarkable? So listen to me very carefully. Death is coming for all of us. It is. 
But when Satan tries to keep us in the slavery of fear, remember he is brandishing an unloaded weapon. So don't, don't duck and cover. Don't cower and wince. He is a poser robbed of his power. And ultimately Jesus is taking the greatest thing that he had and he's using it back against him. He has power. He just, he just doesn't have ultimate power. One other passage of scripture, you don't have to turn to it, but let me read one verse out of Luke, Luke chapter 11, verse 21. This is really a story that Jesus tells in one verse or two verses rather, but it really sums up this whole idea about the relationship that Jesus has with Satan. Listen to this. When a strong man, this is a story Jesus is telling, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are safe. Someone really strong, they're protecting their home, everything's fine. But when one stronger than he attacks him, attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So, who is, what is the analogy here? Well, here we are trying to protect our lives, but we can't. We can't ultimately protect our family and our lives from everything because we don't have all of that, uh, that providence in our control. We're not sovereign all these things. Satan is stronger than we are, and he has the power of death. Listen to me very carefully. Satan is strong. But Jesus is stronger. Satan is the strong man who tries to stand outside of our homes and our families and our lives and our attitudes and our own souls and say, this is mine. To which Jesus replies, no, it's not. I'm using your own weapon against you. This is mine. Satan is strong. But praise Jesus. Jesus is stronger. He's the one who, because he identified with us the Christmas message, he can destroy the power of the enemy. He can extract us from a life being held in the slavery of the fear of death. Okay, one more movie analogy. Do you remember this movie analogy? Remember this scene in a movie? Sometimes the good guy will go in to find the person who's weak and powerless and needs to be rescued. They get them and they're about to rescue them and the person who's about to be rescued says, yeah, I don't know if I want to go. And... You're throwing things at the screen. Uh, you're really, really angry. They're just, they've been in captivity so long. What's happened is they've started to identify with the person who's, who's holding them hostage. In fact, you might know this. This is actually a real thing. In 1974, Stockholm, Sweden, a bank robbery. bank robber held four hostages. And after the whole incident was over, the four hostages would not, they would not go to court and be witnesses against the bank robber. In fact, it's come up with a name. We call it Stockholm Syndrome. Now, Stockholm Syndrome is where the person who is captive begins to identify, that's the word they use, begins to identify with their, with their captor. What a, what a profound spiritual analogy. Jesus comes to you. Can you identify with this story? He came to you at some point, or maybe he's coming to you right now, and he's saying, look, I want to take you out of a life where you fear death. I want you to see that death is the means by which I'm going to get you everything that this life was hinting toward. I'm going to give you ultimate fulfillment. And sometimes Jesus comes to us in that moment. It could be in a church service. It could be alone with somebody. It could be at the tears of a grandmother or mother or father or brothers trying to lead that person to Christ. And they say, you know what, I I don't know. 
I think I'm, I think I'm fine. And by the way, does anybody here have somebody like that in your life? You've witnessed to them, you've shared with them, you've shared with them. And they know they're not what they should be. They know they need to give their life to Christ. But they just look around at the creature comforts of this life. And as long as they can make a decent living and protect their family, they're just like, I, you know, I, I think I'm okay. I think I'm fine. In reality, what they've done is they've, they've identified with their, with their captor. The problem is, it's not about the physical location. The problem is, now it's with allegiance. Because when everything is destroyed, if that person isn't extracted, they're going to go down with all of this as well. And this is where I think Hebrews chapter 2 really, really helps us. Because you and I are made in the image of God. This is why Jesus could come into the world and identify with us. What makes us different from all the other created things is we have this soul that relates to God in a unique and a, and a special way. And so Jesus comes and identifies with that because we are the products of the very thing that he created. He can identify with us. He comes to do this. But listen to me very carefully. This is going to sound odd, but I think this is helpful in some way. Although you are very close to God because you are made in his image, you're like him in that respect. Even if you reject him, you're like him in the respect that you have that soul. You are unlike, because of that, you are unlike the devil. Very, very different. He is a captor, but he's, he's not like you. And when Satan manifests himself, when he made himself known, he didn't come in the form of a man, did he? Remember Genesis chapter 3, he came in the form of what? A snake, of a serpent. Why? Well, because Jesus is so powerful but he's so profoundly humble. He humbled himself. This is the point. I'm not ashamed, verse 11 says, to call them brothers, which is just the negative way of saying the positive thing. Jesus wasn't embarrassed with us. He was, he was proud to identify with us. The Son of God who didn't need anything from us could only give to us. It was a one-sided relationship. He wasn't afraid to identify with us. But look, Satan never did that. <laughs> Hebrews 2 isn't written about him. He doesn't identify with you because while Jesus has all power, he also has all humility. And while Satan has some power, he has all pride. And he, he hates you. With Jesus, it's all about what's best for you. With Satan, it's all about what's best for him. He, he would never identify with you. He wants the absolute worst for you. So the question Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, asking us is why? Why identify with someone who would never identify with you? Praise Jesus. He became our brother so that he became our savior. He came in to get us out. And in so doing, destroyed the power of the devil. Father God, we came here just with really one ambition, and that was just to praise Jesus. Praise you, Father. Thank you for all that you've done. And God, while we haven't talked about it this morning, Father, we know this is all a part of a plan. It's all according to plan. You loved us. You created us in your image. And that which you created to relate to you, you were determined and fixated to restore back into a relationship with you. Father, praise you for that. Praise you. Praise you.